0: Is the fed back in play hi everyone welcome to this extended real vision daily briefing with me today is paul hodges chairman of new normal consulting hi paul it's great to see you
1: yeah lovely to be back thank you maggie
0: so before we jump in um just a reminder to everyone this is the extended daily briefing so the back half is exclusively for real vision members so if you're watching or listening and you are not already a part of our community Get on it. Come join us. Uh, You can just scan the QR code or hit a link that Brian will put in the chat. So, Paul, lots of red on the screen. All the major US equities uh, markets were down uh, today. Treasury yields up. It seems like investors were a little spooked by some of the ISM readings. Should they be?
1: Um, I don't think they should be spooked or surprised by them. Um, I think they should, however, be pretty worried about what's really going on. Uh, you know, we've been floating along on a sort of uh, a, a, a bubble of uh, euphoria, really, uh, for a, for a while. But in the in the real world, as you know, Maggie, uh, you know, I come from the chemical industry, and you know, we've we've said over the years, the chemical industry is the best leading indicator for the global economy, because we're right at the start of the value chain. We're third biggest industry in the world after energy and agriculture. We've been around a long time, 100, 150 years. And so, yeah, I mean, everything in the, in the, in the viewers' um, rooms and so on, we'll, we'll all be, have chemicals in them. So we see all these things a long time before, usually six to nine months or so. And I can tell you, uh, I've been in this game, you know, decades rather than, than, than years. And I've never seen the industry so bad. We're really? operating, yeah, we're, we're operating in the States at capacity utilization, just over two thirds at 68%. Asia is operating at 68%, the Middle East is operating at 68%, Europe, unsurprisingly, is worse, it's at 57%. So, you know, when people try and tell me, I mean, I was listening to uh, Jim Bullard from Saint Louis, formerly Saint Louis Fed. who I've got a lot of time for, and he was kind of today uh, on a webinar, and he he was trying to take it, uh, kind of taking a, a victory lap. Oh, we've done all this. We've managed to reduce inflation by six points, and you know we haven't really uh, hit employment and so on. So you know all these people who are worried about recession and so on. I'm going, Jim, I've never seen operating rates in the world's third largest industry at two thirds of capacity. You know, if that's not a definition of a coming recession, I've no idea. Is it a recession? No, is, really, or is it actually something worse? Well, that's the only question to me.
0: So let me play devil advocate devil's advocate for a second. Is the nature of growth changing? So do you think the chemical industry is still that canary in the coal mine that it was? Because we have seen a sort of... Um, Bifurcation of sort of service-led growth and mm. what would be more traditional manufacturing. Is it possible that for some reason where we are now in the cycle that things are more heavily slated to the service side of the economy?
1: Well, I've, I found myself recently uh, thinking back to 2006, 2008, when we were, you know, flagging up more and more uh, powerful warnings you know all over the place really and we kept being told oh you don't really understand or "Yeah, you know something's you know, something's changed and you don't you're you're an old, old fool you don't you know none of you understand it um and of course in the end it turned out we did um and the, the you know the military acronym VUCA came back to me of volatility uncertainty complexity and ambiguity and just your point there Maggie I think is absolutely right yes sir, we are getting very confusing and contradictory signals if you like which you can understand okay everybody bought lots of stuff when they were locked down they clearly don't need a lot so therefore you know you should expect a lower pace of 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 of, uh, of purchase going on no problem at all with that you know the normal way that would sort of ease off this has been going on now for 18 months so you would kind of think um it might be coming to an end but no sign of that. On the other hand, we've all been locked down for you know for two two years and so on and you know my normal recession signal is I get on a plane and it's half full. Well, oh, I've been on you know not hundreds but I've been on tens of planes uh, every single one has been completely full and you know I've been out with friends who said, oh I tried to book this restaurant but you know it was full so you know you you, you you've got that complexity coming into it that people after two or three years of lockdowns want to get out. They want to see their friends and family. They want to see their business colleagues and so on. Um, and you know, and, and because of uncertainty, actually that becomes more important that you want to. So I, I, you know, I, I think that the fundamentals of the chemical industry are always changing. Mm. Uh, things that we were doing 20, 30 years ago, we're not doing today. And the things we'll be doing in twenty, thirty years' time, but chemicals themselves are a fundamental part of life, and so you know you're always going to have a chemical industry.
0: Yeah, and I and I going back to that statement that you made, even the service industry, everything has. So, so presumably, hmm. even if it was shifting, you could see if it was from goods like refrigerators to trips, but the planes need everything has chemicals in it. They are the sort of building blocks. So exactly. it would yeah. make sense that, you know, that that if we are seeing that reduced capacity, it would be a worrying sign. What are you hearing about why? You know, what are the customers? Who are the customers that are disappearing? Can anyone well, tell why capacity is so low? Because it would it would not match up with some other things we we're talking about in the U.S. economy that's so resilient. Although we are seeing weakness abroad, what, what's mm. happening? Does anybody yeah, have a I, read on that?
1: We can get. We can come back to that. Okay, um,
0: put a pin uh, on but, that because Paul's like, no way, that's not true.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> let's, let's take 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 the first question question first. I mean, what what's happened? You know, what is the fundamental problem that I have? Uh, it's that for the last fifteen years since two thousand eight. The Fed, the central banks, have gone for this zero interest rate policy, uh, f- fabulous liquidity. So, one, you've got a generation of people who actually genuinely think that interest rates are always zero, and there's always liquidity out there. Uh, I don't know what the exact number is in the S and P 500 or the Russell 2000 today, but you know something like 20% of companies have not been making enough money for years now to roll over their uh, to to pay, uh, out of their earnings to, to pay their debt. They've just been rolling over debt. Well, that particular party has come to an end. And, and essentially, the, so that's you know, people's understanding of the real world has been broken because the central banks have interfered with the key role of markets. You and I have discussed this in the past, which is price discovery. Mm. I want to buy an airline ticket from LA to, uh, to, to New York. You want to sell me one and we agree the price. If, if, and if, we, if markets can't do that basic transaction because the Fed keeps piling in money, oh, goodness, dear, poor, poor, poor Maggie can't sell all their tickets, so let's give it more money and so on. Let's stimulate. What they've been doing, therefore, is they've convinced a lot of companies to invest in capacity far in advance of real demand. Mm. So We did some work uh, a, a little while ago where we looked at, what it what what are what's the basis of, of interest rates, and if you go back to the Bank of England, uh, you've got a history of three hundred years, which is probably re- reasonable in terms of uh, you know t- telling you what happens. And of course, it, it bounces around. You've got world wars and depressions and all sorts of things, but over that three hundred years, the average real uh, re- um, interest rate is really pretty steady at inflation plus two and a half percent. So, you know, if we assume that we're going to go back to inflation plus two and a half percent, that is going to be a tremendous shock to a whole generation of people who think, no, no, you you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. And and so so you you, see, you've you've got false expectations and that, that is not only in behavioral, but it's also meant you've put a lot of capacity on the ground. I mean, we've come to China, I'm sure later on, but um, you know, China is the classic example, it's been subprime on steroids with its real estate bubble. Um, but uh, you know, the, these things do catch up with you in the end, and the war, basically, uh, you, you, Russia's invasion of, of, of Ukraine has been the catalyst, really, uh, for, the, for the change.
0: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision daily briefing. So you you um, made a comment when I said the U.S. economy has been resilient. So what what do you think about what's happening here with the U.S.
1: economy? Well, I mean I've I've, I've lived and worked in the states. So I have a, I have a son who was born there. So I, I have a you know I feel I have a bit of a, a sort of a, a, a stake in, in in the country. And you know what what we're seeing is some bits of the economy doing very well. Some bits like commercial real estate not doing very well at all. Um, I, I saw the Wall Street Journal has a, a thing about doom loop, um, which is quite a surprising headline for the journal, but there you go. We did, we did some work on the US housing market recently. And on the one hand, it looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, Builders have been selling out lots of you know, uh, start, housing starts and so on up at one and a half million and so on. And you know, in the normal course of events, you just look at the headline. You think, oh, yeah, things things are going well. It's resilient. But then you look down and you say, well, the majority of people have got mortgages, mortgage rates at below four percent. If they move, they're going to pay seven percent plus. So unless somebody gives them a very good job offer, then they're not going to move. <laughs> you know, because that's a, you know, the average average house size. And 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 yet, so so you you've you've also got. But again, when you dig down into it, if you wanted to buy a new ha- home today, then you'd actually have to have an income, household income, of over $100,000. So because of the, of the, the uh, you know, you're, I think it's 2,700 bucks a month is the average mortgage payment. So you, you, at the one hand, exactly as you say, you, you look at that new homes, kept being built and sold one and a half million, not quite at the two million subprime, but pretty good, really, much better than 700,000 uh, in 2009 or something, But then you say, well, why is that? And the answer is large part of the market either owns their home, they're older people, they paid off the mortgage, or they've got a low, low price mortgage and can't afford to buy. And the only people who are buying therefore, are you know, the people who will have to move for some reason or another. So I don't think that's a stable position. So that's why I sort of looked at, looked askance when you said resilient. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this is the question that's been so hard to nail down because people have very differing views on what's happening with the economy. So let's talk a little bit about inflation as well, because I think yeah. the, the trigger from the ISM was, oh, it looks stronger. Prices paid were a little higher. And so we had once again, come around to the idea that the Fed was definitely on pause in September and maybe things were moderating. We started to hear those messages coming from Fed officials like, we can afford to wait here. And then you get a hot reading and it gets the bond market nervous again. So you're a little concerned about maybe that the growth underneath is not as strong or the economy not as strong as maybe some think in problem spots in housing. What about inflation? What's happening on the inflation front?
1: Well, I think that inflation, again, we, we we became used, and I I kind of understand that in in the nineties, uh, oil and food prices really didn't matter very much, and so if you wanted to get a a reasonable reading on uh, on what inflation was, CPI or whatever, you tended to say, look, yeah, we know food prices have just jumped up because. There was a, you know, orange juice harvest or something in Florida was wrecked, or you know, energy prices. You know, there was a Gulf War in nineteen ninety one or something, but it was only six, three months or something. So, you know, let's cut them out. But if you look today, and this is where we come back to the war, as as being the really critical factor here. What we saw with the war was almost immediately Russian gas being cut off, and that led to seventy percent, seven zero percent. Of Europe's fertilizer plants being shut down. Now you say, does fertilizer matter very much? Well, half of the world's population depends for its food on nitrogen fertilizer, and you know, those, if if if, if you're, you're, you remember chemistry 101, uh, you know, you go natural gas into into methane into ammonia, and that gives you your uh, nitrogen fertilizer. So it's 70% of Europe's capacity is shut down. Plus, of course, we got the problems with exports from Ukraine and the, uh, the, the, the sanctions on Russian. Right? So you start to see for, for, uh, fertilizer costs moving up. But of course that doesn't have an immediate effect. You know, it's not that the farmer goes out in the morning and, 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 and sows his crop and fertilizes it and then brings it to market next day or that evening it's a you know what what wasn't planted or wasn't fertilized last year doesn't come into the market this year and that's why we're now starting to see food prices looking rather sticky and of course you know what, what what we call over here in europe sod's law um something else happens that makes that worse and the something else this time is el nino and the world bank has come out and said look uh, you know, rice, for example, and other other commodities in El Nino events tend to have problems with growing. India, the largest rice exporter in the world, 20 odd million tons out of 40 million tons or so, has banned exports of all non-Basmati rice. It's thinking about banning exports of sugar. Other uh, Asian producers of rice are doing the same. So you're starting to see. You know, yes, it's been a bit quiescent, a bit quiet for the last last few months, but you're going to see oil uh, food prices moving up again. And of course, for the last couple of months, we've seen oil prices moving up and Brent prices are up 25, 26%. And there are you know, very credible people around who are saying they think oil could get to a hundred bucks. I, I used to trade oil in Houston, Texas. Uh, You know, I I understand their point because I think that what's happening with OPEC plus particularly with Saudi and Russia Isn't an economic debate. It's a political debate. They want to get rid of Biden They want a Republican candidate. They'd love to have Trump back, but if it can't be Trump Well, they let anyone because they think that would be the end of the war and they think they'd have a a, You know an easier ride. So they're going to push up the price of, of gasoline in the hope that that encourages Americans to vote against Biden and bring in somebody that they want. That kind of foreign interference in, in democracy doesn't seem very good to me, but that's, that's where we are. So those two things that the Fed is, is happily ignoring at the moment, oh, no, we don't need to worry about food prices. We don't need to worry about energy prices. And I, as I say, I completely understand why historically they've been saying that. I think they're flat out wrong. Those are going to be the key things over 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 the winter. you are going to see higher food prices. You are already seeing high high higher gasoline prices, and those are the things that impact our daily lives.
0: yeah you know? do you th- see that as a short term phenomenon or shorter term phenomenon or through this winter, or is this something structurally that's changing? Um, where these supply issues, whether because of the supply chain or just the supply available, changing geopolitics, realigning alliances, becomes more problematic on both food and energy. Is this a sort of you know new normal, so to speak?
1: well i actually i think I think the new normal is 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 another way around because we are already moving towards you know, renewables and so on. I mean Texas. For example home of home of of, of of oil and gas as you know I, th- I think it's the third large if it was a country it would be the third largest country in terms of renewables capacity um, and you know when they had the big freeze renewables kept going it was gas that natural gas that uh, that, that froze up so you know renewables are, are a good thing and they're also much cheaper um, so uh, what, what we've already been seeing, because of climate change and all the fires everywhere, I mean, even in, in coming down in, in, into the tri-state areas, we know all that smoke. Um, you know, what we're seeing has been a move towards renewables, and of course, one of the paradoxically, one of one of the advantages of the war, there is a silver lining, is that it's encouraged everybody uh, to say, well, no, we do. Under no circumstances do we want to be held ransom by Russia and Saudi Arabia again so so we are seeing an expediting of, uh, of solar and wind and water and so on uh, so that is so so there is a, there is a, a systemic change there a structural change going on but it won't it you know it, it will take it will take 12 to 18 months to get you know depending on where you are some countries uh, you know are already pretty much 100% renewables but there is, it's expensive um, you know, you're moving towards in the States, uh, towards phasing out uh, gasoline and, and de- diesel cars by 2030 or 2035 and so on, but it takes time and people have already got a car. They're not going to suddenly throw it away or anything. And nobody would want to, that to happen. So um, the process of transition is, you know, probably five to 10 years. It's not five to 10 minutes. You know, We're used to, you know, in the financial world, to the idea that everything happens in milliseconds yeah we've been conditioned to that
0: lately right yeah. that, that every the, the the cycle has been has been compressed and we get yeah. these big lurches so you see this you think that that um although we are having these short term pressures from energy and food that the longer cycle here the change is more deflationary than inflationary is that right
1: oh, very much so and if if you if you sort of think about where where do you where, where would you want to invest? Uh, you know, it, it, Like all occasions, it, it's, it's actually, you know it, it's a complex decision, unless you're a meme stock follower, in which case you just lose your money and you smile. But um, in in terms of what we're looking at, we're clearly in an inflationary period for the moment. And it's hard to say when that will come to an end. It will come to an end, but the deflationary aspect is there so as an investor, you've got to be got to be cautious about saying, well, I can, see, you know, I can see ahead till Christmas, no problem at all. I suspect the war will be going on for another couple of years or so, in which case we probably will be an inflationary spiral for that period of time. But supposing the war finished in three or six months time, now you would be revealed as having an awful lot of capacity which you don't need, and of course, You've got this thing of the uh, of the ageing populations, of which the states is just typical. Like right? you take the you know, the ten uh, richest countries in the world, nine of the ten the, the biggest growth in population for the next five to ten years, and after that is in the over fifty fives, the perennials, and you know, the perennials like myself, we're, we're lovely people, but the fact is we don't consume very much because we're not having children any, anymore and you know we may be having grandchildren but that's you know that's indirect if you like and we already own most of what we need and well, you know, once people move into retirement they have less money as well so if you take the data from uh you know the bureau of labor studies for example what you see is that per, uh, consumption peaks household consumption peaks at around the age of 55 or so. And then by the age of 75, it's down by about 45%. Now, you know the numbers about the baby boom as well as I do, that we've got, you know, the the 18 years from 1946 to 64, we had 52% more babies born than in previous 18 years. That was the baby boom. Almost all of those babies now have become perennials. And the oldest ones are old perennials. So you're really looking at uh, you know, a, a, a very deflationary environment. China is, is far worse. We'll I'd say we'll probably talk about China later on, but because of the one child policy, China selectively aborted a lot of female babies. So if you look at the numbers, instead of 103, 105 male babies to females, which you know, is the normal. Ratio around the world, you've got a ratio since 1980 of about 114. So um, that was because you know, if you're only allowed to have one child, a lot of rural families said, "Well, it's better be a boy to help me with the farm or whatever." Uh, you know, you know, it's you know, we may not agree with it, but that's what happened. And so you you get to a situation now where you know, uh, the numbers show this is just it, these are government numbers; they're not uh, not made up by me. Um, you know, over 70 million lost. Females from 1980 onwards, which means over seventy million of females who can't now have babies themselves, and no surprise because this starts that you're on a, an edge now they're looking instead of having fifteen or twenty million babies a year in China they're at nine nine and a half million last year, and they're saying it may be eight million this year.
0: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, that's a huge, huge drop-off. So we have yeah. these big, big, big trends, and we've talked demographics. You and I have talked before. We've talked, talked on the mm. program, um, which are these this longer-term deflationary mm. trend. If we bring it back a little bit shorter term. Mm. so. Surely the Fed sees this, surely the markets are sniffing this out. It's sort of the timing of that long arc of that story is tough. In the short term, couple of questions. If we've got some pressure, some supply pressure in the short term, what what does that mean for commodity prices? Do they go higher or are they capped because they sort of sense some of the economic weakness you're talking about? They sense some of the capacity that may come online. What do you see happening with commodity prices?
1: I, I, I think you know, it comes back to my, my, my point about complexity here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's, there's no easy answers to this. You know, I could be quite confident in saying that food and energy prices are moving up. Uh, you know, cereals are moving up in price, rice is moving up in price and so on. So you look at all of that because of the war and because of El Nino, and you know, people can can, can investigate that in, in more detail. Uh, We've we put some stuff on our website, of course, uh, already if they want to go there. Um, but if you then say, well, what what's, what's... Let's take, let's come back to house house building in the States as an example. Now you might get lured into saying, well, housing starts are at one and a half million, that should be good for lumber, that should be good for all the things that go into, into housing. And then you look at the people who supply housing markets and you see they're all going out of business because you know, they're just they're, people aren't actually moving into these new homes. And so the risk that you've now got is that builders have been lured into buying plots and building homes, and now they're coming to sell them, and people would love to buy them. You know, you you never have a housing market where people don't want to buy houses. That is never the problem. The question is whether they can get the mortgage to do it. Um, you know, I have a very good, very good friend uh, who, who relates all this to diamonds, and she says, you know, there is no shortage of demand in my household for diamonds. <laughs> There's just the shortage of the cash to, to buy them. <laughs>
0: i love you to that. Yeah. That's what I say, Paul. I can relate to that message. Um yeah. so where does this leave the Fed? Because they're uh, well, dealing with this complexity too, right?
1: Well, I, I think uh, the, the 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 Fed is is a is a bit adrift at the moment. If you look at the three main central banks, that you know the Jap- Japanese, the Bank of Japan is just lost completely no idea what it's doing uh, you know the, the yen has gone from 100 to the dollar two years ago to 150 a 50 percent change on the world's third largest economy that tells you the markets have woken up to the fact these guys do not know what they're doing but when they find out it ain't going to be pretty mm. europe um Christine L- Lajard at, um, at the Central European Central Bank made a very interesting speech at Jackson Hole you know, a couple of weeks ago, where she talked about the changes that are taking place and the fact that our models don't work anymore. And you know we're we're trying to look backwards to see what's what might be happening, but actually um, she quoted Kierkegaard and said we look backwards to find out you know where we've been, but we have to look forwards to find out where we're going. And, you know, I was, I had to laugh when, you know, Jay Powell said, oh, you know, at the Fed, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're navigating by the stars, but the sky is rather cloudy. And I go, Jay? Jay? Have you ever thought of getting a GPS system? Getting radar? <laughs> yeah, there
0: are, there yeah. are other things that are possible. <laughs> Real-time <laughs> information technology.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, can you imagine a CEO of a company saying, "Well, I'm navigating by the stars, and it's a bit cloudy." Mm. I think I think the shareholders might find him in, you know, an astronomer's job.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there are some questions about why there is not more, you know, about the. I don't want to say accuracy of the data but whether there should be more real time ways to sort of mm. get a look at the forward leaning as opposed to the data that comes in we know it lags and then it gets these has these big revisions a year later you know presumably mm. yeah. um, it's it's not the struggle of just the fed um, certainly others do, uh, others are are dealing oh, I mean, with this I mean, as I mean, well
1: the whole nature of economics is that it's a series of guesses mm. some of them are more educated than others but you know, in, in in my neck of the woods, in in chemistry, you know, the rules, the laws of chemistry are the laws of chemistry. You can't change them. You know, that's the way it happens. Uh, but there are no laws in economics. You know, various people have opinions, and some shout louder than others, and their opinions tend to get more listened to because they shout louder. But it doesn't make them right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and we're we're I think we're seeing that debate really play out Ooh. right now. And we're going to be talking a lot. We've got to great content campaign coming up for all of you and we're we're going to really be diving into these sort of they're not they're, they're opposing views in many ways but we're going to try to Ooh. drill down a little bit and see what makes it different what what are people looking at that might be different in you know how much is their time horizon involved in that speaking of time horizon we're at the bottom of the half hour So we're going to flip over to the platform. We appreciate everyone who joined us for the first half. If you want to stay with us, ask some questions of Paul. We're going to talk a little bit more about how Asia fits into this and some of the concerns that Paul has there. Scan the QR code, jump on a trial, and come join us.
1: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.